Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're chatting with Brittany, and Brittany has a pretty wide variety of birth stories that she's going to share with us today. So Brittany, before we jump into those, do you want to just start us off with an introduction? Yeah, definitely. So I'm a wife and a homeschool mom of eight children, 13 and under. I also work part-time as a barista and a party host at My Play Cafe, which is an awesome little um, coffee shop with a play area in Lee Summit, Missouri. And yeah, that's kind of me. (laughs) Well, why don't you just take us to wherever you're wanting to start with your birth stories? Okay. So I'm going to start back uh, when I was 19. Um, I had moved back home to Spokane, Washington, because I'm a Washington native after a year at a ministry internship in Seattle. um, I had planned on moving back to Seattle to start college. And my boyfriend at the time, Tony, who is now my husband, he was not thrilled about that. (laughs) He didn't want me to go. And so we had this mature conversation about no longer spending time alone. We wanted to respect our future spouses by abstaining from sex and stuff. And it only takes once. And I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) So um, I told my doctor, actually, uh, I had a prescription refill and she said she had to test me for pregnancy before she could refill it. And I said, it's impossible. Like I'm not pregnant. And I was, so that was very shocking. Um, Tony was thrilled because he knew that meant I wouldn't be leaving. And I was planning on not telling anybody till I went into labor. So <laughs> like throughout you know, the whole pregnancy, not telling anybody. Yeah, that was my plan because, you know, I was 19 and I had just got back from like this ministry biblical, you know, thing. And so I just had a lot of shame about it, you know, and It was tough, but I ended up telling my mom because she offered me a tuna fish sandwich and I was convinced, (laughs) I was convinced I couldn't eat tuna because I was pregnant. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know anything then obviously. And, um, so I didn't hold it in until the end and we had a few tough months, honestly. And finally I convinced everyone. I was like, I love Tony. Like I wanted to spend my life with him. And then we planned a pretty quick wedding. I know a lot of people call it a shotgun wedding and that's definitely how it seemed, but we've been married for 14 years this month now. So yeah, that's my pre or having kids story. (laughs) Um, And so with McKenna, our oldest, we, I really wanted like a med-free birth and I looked into having a doula, but it just was, wasn't really working out for me. And when I went into labor, I don't really feel like I had the right tools to manage pain without an epidural. And the knowledge I had was, you know, from all my teen mom friends that was like, oh, just ask to be induced or get an epidural. You know, why, why would you not want an epidural? So I didn't really have like good advice, I guess, for having a med-free birth. And so I don't know if you've seen the business of being born Mm -hmm. story. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, basically my birth, um, was like that. So I got the Pitocin and got the epidural then, oh, the baby's in distress and we better do a C-section. So that was really hard because I 
really, really didn't want a C-section. Even then my mom had had planned C-sections and she loved them, but I was very (laughs) certain I was not having one. So it was hard. And then I did some research after I had her and was like, okay, when I have another baby, I'm going to have my V back. And I had a midwife for my prenatal care. She had thought I would for sure have a home birth, but I never even in my head was like, oh, I'm going to have a home birth. And so I went to the hospital after she was like, hey, just, you know, like stay home or you can labor at my house. Like she was wonderful. And so she went was to the a home birth midwife that you yeah. were seeing in the second pregnancy? Sorry, I just wanted to clarify. No, yeah, she was a home birth midwife. So I don't know why in my head I was like, oh, I'm just going to get this prenatal care and then go to the hospital. <laughs> like, um, Were you doing prenatal care at the hospital at all too? Not at this point. And that's okay. why like, I try to think back to that and I'm like, what was I, like, what was I thinking? <laughs> like, I'm with this midwife who does out of hospital birth, but I'm going to go to the hospital. Like it seems weird in my head now. So we did end up like transferring care towards the end. And so I think that's when I was like, oh yeah, I'm definitely having this baby at the hospital, but it obviously went similarly. I was in labor for like 50 hours. It was really drawn out and just not really progressing. And so I got an epidural And then while I was sleeping, they actually started Pitocin without like telling anybody. And so I woke up with the thing next. Yes. I woke up with the thing next to me and I'm like, this looks familiar. Um, Why is this here? Oh, we started a little bit of Pitocin while you're sleeping, which was very surprising. Um, And my midwife had come with me to the hospital too. And she was not happy at all. Yeah. That's super manipulative to wait until you're asleep. And obviously they didn't get your consent to start yeah. or anything like that. Yes. Very frustrating. But after like another 17 hours, I, I got numb like up to my neck and there was just like a whole lot of stuff. And I finally was like, cut him out. Like I literally said that. And it was one of those things where I'm like, are we sure I said that? Maybe it was just saying it in my head. No, everybody was like, no, you definitely said that. So basically he, when he was coming down, he was progressing and he was getting there. But when I had the epidural and was like laying down, he came back up. So he wasn't fully engaged and it just was, I was done and I had kidney stones passing at the same time. So it was not a fun time in my life, but afterwards the doctor, the OB was like, just so you know, like you're just too narrow. You'll never be able to have a vaginal birth. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) but that wasn't going to stop me. So I researched a lot more and was like, okay, I'm going to just plan a home birth. But my husband was very, very nervous about a home birth with my, you know, past birth experiences. And um, the midwives that I talked to all encouraged me to seek out this VBAC friendly provider that they knew. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll just do that because I'm not really having any support. And the doctor was pretty supportive. Like I had a good experience with my prenatal care and stuff. And then when I got closer to my due date, probably like basically once I was term, you know, 37 weeks, he started wanting to strip my membranes like twice a week. He was telling me the baby was really big and I should just schedule. And I was like, okay, well, I'm fine with another section if it is necessary, but I'm still trying, like I will try. (laughs) And he's like, okay. 
And they kind of laughed when I said, maybe the baby's not big. (laughs) And then I found a doula, which was really helpful. And at 41 weeks, I went into labor on my own and finally had my first vaginal delivery and it was med free and he was 10 pounds and two ounces. (laughs) It was really empowering to be like, Oh my gosh, they told me I was too narrow and I'd never do this. And then look at this beast of a baby. (laughs) Did you Um, have many hospital interventions? I know you said it was med free, so not an epidural or anything, but was there any talk (laughs) of induction or anything that happened during labor when you were at the hospital? So when I was at the hospital, the doctor on call was actually not my doctor. And I feel like it probably worked out better that way. He did break my water. And that was really hard for me because I had like this whole birth plan of what I wanted to do. And I didn't want like any interventions. They actually agreed to just do like the IV lock, HEP lock. Is that what it's called? I think. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Instead of an actual IV. So I was able to move a lot better. And then. So I think the only actual intervention was the water breaking. And my experience with my past two deliveries was my water breaks and nothing happens. So it was really hard for me to be like, okay, let's do this. But the doctor was really reassuring. And so I went ahead and did that and it did help. Now looking back, I'm like, I should have just left it. It would have broke probably soon anyways. And then probably the worst intervention was the episiotomy. That was incredibly difficult because I had wrote in my birth plan. I did not want an episiotomy that I wanted to naturally tear if, if at all. My doula, I was really hoping that she would maybe be like, Hey, remember your birth plan or something. But she had come from like a concert and was not prepared, like in the way that she wanted to be, she really wanted to be there. And so I'm like, I was so happy she was there, but I think up until the last minute she had planned to have her backup come. And so she didn't even have like her doula bag or anything. And I'm still so grateful for her. It's just that I wish somebody would have been like, Hey, Brittany, like, remember what you wanted. So after saying no, a few times, I finally was like, okay. He just said, Hey, his head's right here. If I just do this episiotomy, he'll come right out. I'm like, okay. Like, you know, I'm having my first vaginal delivery. I'm like, not really all there. Right. Um, Especially at that point in labor when like your baby is literally emerging. You're not, you're not in the same brain as you are in day-to-day life. Totally. And so that was my only, I guess, regret with that delivery. I still was like on cloud nine, but the recovery was definitely harder than it probably could have been. And I had problems after that for years. So definitely don't recommend PCOTOMIES. And you said um, he was like a 10, 10 pound baby. How big were your first two, if you remember? Oh, yeah. So my first baby was 612. And then the second was 86. So, I mean, the first one was fairly small, but the second one was decent, normal size, a normal size in my head. He said he was huge. <laughs> but then, yeah, um, then you have this 10 pound baby after being right. told that your pelvis was too small. They wouldn't be able to fit. And this baby was like two pounds bigger than the last. Yeah. Yeah. It was really awesome. And like for my husband to see that he was just like, so in awe, (laughs) like you go and have your V back after two C-sections and you have this like monster baby, like who does that? (laughs) Which I have now discovered a lot of women (laughs) actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just don't 
you don't hear about it a lot, but there are a lot of women who have V-backs with like 10. I think I've had one other woman that had an 11 pound baby at home after her uh-huh. C-sections and it's very possible. The size doesn't yeah. necessarily determine anything. Totally. It's incredible. Okay. So my fourth baby, I finally planned a home birth. My husband was like, okay, you know, we had that great birth. Like, sure, let's go for it. And at 31 weeks, I had a terrible fall while I was baby wearing. I know now that (laughs) I shouldn't have been baby wearing. And two weeks later, my water broke and it was like filled with blood. So I discovered I had placental abruption and ended up being in the hospital, like on bed rest. And my baby was breached. There was just like a lot going on. But I was still convinced that I was going to flip my baby and have a vaginal delivery. And then I went into labor a few days later and saw meconium. And when they hooked up the monitors, like I just, I was trying to play it cool. Cause I'm like, if they're not going to quote, let me deliver this baby vaginally, then I'm just not going to tell them I'm delivering. <laughs> um, so I just told the nurse like, Hey, I, I think I'm having contractions. Can you, can we listen to the baby's heart rate? And when she hooked me up, like I knew what I was hearing was not normal for that baby. And it was going into like the one eighties and then dropping down to like 60. Um, so I, the doctor came in and was like, Hey, I'll give you a half an hour, but then we probably need to have a C-section. And so when she left the room, I told my husband, I was like, get the anesthesiologist now. Like, I do not want this to turn into an emergency. So we went and had a C-section, a third C-section, and I was devastated. And the experience was just very traumatic, especially after having like such a high after my last delivery. And I had like three different doctors tell me, you know, you can never deliver vaginally again, right? And um, it was not a normal scar. So I have a special scar. It's like a T incision. So they have to make, because the baby was preemie, they had to make a little bit of a, what am I thinking? Vertical, vertical, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Vertical line with the traditional like bikini line <laughs> on the uterus, obviously not on my abdomen. So that was really, really devastating because I'm like, okay, now I definitely can't have another back, So I'm done having kids. I knew my risks with having another C-section and they really don't look good. <laughs> um, and so I actually got on hormone, hormonal birth control, which I was very much against, not for like any particular reason, except that I just don't love it. I, mm-hmm. I'm not anti it if you need it. But my husband was like, you know, Brit, <laughs> if you get pregnant again, like it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have another C-section. And I'm like, okay. So I started like researching VBACs after three C-sections and this was nine years ago. Um, and that there wasn't a whole lot of information really, but what I could find said that your risk from two to three really doesn't increase a ton. However, I had this special scar too. So I'm like, okay, well then I'm going to put my risk at about this percentage. <laughs> and looking at the risk with the four C-section versus my potential like rupture risk, I felt like I had a better chance trying for a VBAC than going for a four C-section. And I got pregnant almost immediately. (laughs) So I do have one question. During that time, 
I know you said that there wasn't much out there about VBAC after three C-sections. Was there mm -hmm. much information that you could find at that time about having the T incision? Um, so all I could find, I found like one article on, and I don't even remember now where it was, but on just VBAC after three C-section. And then I found a page called Special Scars. And basically found, I think, like two or three other moms that had also had either J incisions or T incisions and had three C-sections and went ahead and had VBAC. So like in my head, that was enough. I was like, okay, somebody else has done it. Right. I'm go for it. <laughs> Just that validation even that like, I'm not mm -hmm. the only person that's been in this situation and is looking at doing this. It kind of makes you feel mm -hmm. a little bit less crazy because everyone else around you is probably thinking like, no, you should not be doing this. Yes, I'm, exactly. I'm glad you mentioned that group. Um, I, I, I'm not personally in it, but I've heard of it. I've heard other women speak about it and just say that that's been a really good resource for them if they have more than just that low vertical incision from their C-sections. Because mm -hmm. are they on Facebook? Is that right? I think they're on Facebook. I had a Facebook at the Times and I don't now, so I haven't looked oh, okay. recently. <laughs> But they have a website with like tons of birth stories. I think it's specialscars.org, I want to say. It could be .com. Okay. But yeah, I'll look and I'll I'll link it, whatever I can I can find. I can link in the episode notes too. Cause that would be a great resource for other people too. Yes. Yeah, it's great. Um so I felt confident with going ahead and trying for a VBAC, but I talked to a few doctors, basically any office I called they said I had to come in and do like a new patient appointment. So it wasn't like I could go sit down with a doctor and be like, Hey, I've had three C-sections. Will you let me try for a VBAC? And I did, I was a doula. I guess that was kind of somewhat important information. <laughs> I became a doula after I had my fourth with that, or sorry, my third with my VBAC after two. And so because I knew some doctors and OBs in the area, I was able to talk to them without making an appointment and basically was like, Hey, I know people say I'm risked out, but would you allow it? And the response was not no, but it was like, well, I have to talk to my colleagues or I'm not sure. So I just was like, you know what, this is not going to happen. I'm going to go ahead and have an out of hospital birth. And that was hard because to find, I think in Washington, licensed midwives, I could be wrong, but I think that they could not attend after two C-sections home births. And so you kind of have to like find a rogue midwife who's not licensed, but is willing to take you. And that's really frowned upon by a lot of people. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, are they even really midwives? Um, but because I was a doula and I was in the birth community, I was able to find someone who I trusted that was willing to attend because she hadn't finished her licensure yet. I basically was like, well, I don't care if you come or not. I'm going to have the baby regardless at home, unless there's a problem. And then I'll go to the hospital. I had planned on honestly, just going ahead and not calling anybody, but my husband had emergency eye surgery surgery on my due date. <laughs> So my main support person was in excruciating pain and not really able to support me like I needed. So when I went into labor, I had a friend of mine who came and was my doula. 
And then the midwife showed up 45 minutes before I delivered him. And it was really straightforward, but I was very confused (laughs) because my shortest labor and my only other vaginal delivery was 12 hours. And I went into labor and was like doing howling sounds. And I'm like, in my head, doula brain, you know, I'm like, this is not early labor, you know, this sounds (laughs) close to transition. Um, okay. (laughs) And so I'm like trying all these things, like sitting on the birth ball, which was like my favorite in the previous vaginal delivery. And I hated it. It was awful, but it was because he was so low and I was just in such denial, like what is going on? So I finally went and sat on the toilet and was like, Oh, what do I tell my, you know, my clients? Oh, I just need to empty my bladder. Like that's why I'm having this extra pain. It's really hard to doula yourself when you're the one who's in labor. (laughs) Exactly. And my husband's like trying to take care of kids, you know? And so I'm like, I'll just pee. That will help. And so I go and sit down and I did not leave the toilet (laughs) because basically I was hitting transition. And so I like intuitively, like I'm not pro cervical exams. Like I don't let people give me cervical exams, but I felt intuitive. Like I intuitively like reached down and I feel this weird, like, I don't even know how to explain it. Brainy like feeling, you know? And I'm like, what on earth is that? I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, it's the cord. There's a cord prolapse happening. Like I am almost in panic mode. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, he's crowning. (laughs) Like it's his head. So like I said, I was very confused and in like complete denial that I was basically about to have a baby. So from start, like first contraction to him in my arms was three hours and one minute. So that was probably why I was very confused because it was so quick and like, didn't have time to even like gather my thoughts. Yeah. That's a lot for your brain to process in a short amount of time. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it was great. Um, my only, I wouldn't say complaint. It just, I was on the toilet. I was quite comfortable and my husband was nervous. I think everybody in the bathroom was nervous that I was going to deliver this baby into the toilet. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And then they kind of pulled me up like mid contraction so that I wouldn't deliver him into the toilet. And that really kind of disrupted me. And I felt like I wasn't in control at that moment. And I really disliked it, which is why I got pregnant again and decided like, I'm just going to have an unassisted birth. Before we jump into that story. So Uh you had mentioned that your husband was the one who originally was like, well, you don't have to have another C-section. Like when you were looking (laughs) into all of these things. Uh So so how, how were the two of you feeling about this home birth or were there any like fears that you needed to work through just with how everything had gone in the past and then everything with that last C-section with the special scar? So I, I can't speak for my husband because I mean, he tells me things now, but like we've had so many births since then that it's like hard to figure out which one is which, but, um, I feel like my fear it was gone after I read enough and read the birth stories of those other women. I had enough information that I felt confident in my choice. And in the back of my head, like I was also reading the horse stories and 
okay, how much time do we have to get to the hospital if something goes wrong? Or what do I need to look for? Like what, when something's going wrong? Um, Mm -hmm. So I just felt like I had enough knowledge to go into it, not fearful. And then my husband was literally in the living room, hanging out, (laughs) didn't know. He just like, okay, she's doing her thing, whatever. And the midwife went out and got him and was like, hey, you should probably come into the bathroom and not leave. (laughs) (laughs) Things are happening. (laughs) He literally was in the same place as me thinking, oh, well, she'll probably give birth early morning. And so he was like, you know, hanging out with his mom, talking to the kids, getting them put to sleep, had no idea I was in transition. And that's how he's been every birth since. So (laughs) he just, I think his denial and complete like, oh, she's, she's good. Like, you know, she's just in labor is what keeps him from being afraid. But we also like, I believe that God has designed me to give birth and you know, we're very trusting in that. So I think that's a, a big part of it for both of us. And I'm, I'm also curious how the postpartum time was for you after having this home birth compared to having the C-sections or even the VBAC that you had in the hospital. Oh man. Um, <laughs> well, I told you my husband had had emergency eye surgery. So I was the primary caregiver for the kids after this. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I do not recommend this. Let me like, let me put a warning label on this, but I mean, I got up and was making a cake <laughs> the very next day. Like I had him at nine Oh one in the evening and by morning I was up, I made a cake. I went and got us lunch out of the house. <laughs> like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, don't recommend it, but I felt incredible. Like I felt like nothing had even happened. I didn't give birth. I'm just normal. So it was night and day difference. Um, I still did have like a, a small tear, but nothing compared to like an episiotomy. So I have to, I actually really have to talk myself down after these births that I've had at home because I know I need to be laying down and taking it easy, but I feel so good that I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I obviously pay for it later, but yes, I felt very, very good after that delivery. I have to ask, was it a birthday cake that you were making or was it? Okay. (laughs) I've heard some people have that tradition of after baby comes, we make a birthday cake. So that just kind of made me chuckle. Yeah. My kids love it. It's so fun. So that's, yep. That's what we were doing. (laughs) And did you have any postpartum care with the midwife after that birth? Yeah. So she came, um, I think it was like a two day, a two week and a six week, (laughs) but yeah, she took care of me and, um, we had community around us that were bringing us some food and stuff. So it was wonderful to just be able to stay home. And like, even though I was still up and moving more than I should have, I didn't have to go anywhere if I didn't want to, you know, it was just such a like weird (laughs) thing of like, oh my gosh, we're here. We don't have to drive home from the hospital. So yeah, it was really, really good experience overall. Okay. So take us into your next pregnancy then. <laughs> okay. So that was Jackson and that was birth number five. <laughs> I have to think. So when I got pregnant again, I knew that I was going to plan a free birth or a, an unassisted birth. And I also was going to do an unassisted pregnancy. Another disclaimer, I do not recommend you do these things without proper research and, you know, knowing all the things. A lot of people want to do it 
because it's like this fad, you know, or whatever, but there is a lot of information that goes into making a decision like that. So just want to make make sure people know that. Um, And just a lot of taking responsibility for that care too. And just being knowledgeable about your body and really Mm -hmm. feeling comfortable in taking all of that on. Absolutely. I just want people to know like it was not a decision I made lightly. It wasn't like, oh, I, you know, I don't like people. So I'm going to do this by myself. Um, It was a thought out decision and my husband had to be comfortable with it too. And he was, so. Was there a driving factor in why you chose free birth after having the home birth with the midwife? Uh, A lot of it was just because I feel, I still felt like, even though my experience was 100% better, I felt like on my own, it would be 150% better just because I really didn't want people to get in my space and tell me what to do. And I felt like even though what I was told to do at my home birth was like very minimal and they were making observations on the outside and said things to me that were in my best interest and in the best interest of the baby, I still felt like intuitively I would have done things differently. And so I didn't want people in my space telling me what to do. Sounds very stubborn. I am fairly stubborn. So (laughs) no, but that's very valid. I mean, it's your pregnancy and your birth experience. And it's like you were saying, it's a huge step to take over that ownership and control and be the main person. Like you're basically providing whatever you want to call prenatal care, your own prenatal Mm -hmm. care and your own care throughout labor. So like you said, it's not a decision that is made lightly. No, not at all. So I, um, scheduled myself appointments, just like the typical, like midwife or OB experience, um, where I did like once a month and then every two weeks and every week where basically I just, I weighed myself, I had urine strips that I purchased. And so I like checked my urine cause I did have issues in previous birth or in previous pregnancies with just dehydration and some things. So I just wanted to make sure that I was taking proper care of myself. Um, I did go to the store and like did blood pressure reading. So, you know, like I just tried to figure out like, what would I do in a normal pregnancy that I can do on my own? Um, And I even kept like record just in case if there was a transfer, if there was anything that I could say, Hey, here, this is my information. And yes, a lot of people, doctors, maybe even probably (laughs) would look at that and be like, this is still no prenatal care. But in my head, I'm like, I'm doing the things. So Um, I felt good with what I was doing and it was my most easygoing pregnancy. I felt like I had not a care in the world as far as like, oh, is the baby breach or, oh, is this happening? Like, I just was very trusting and felt like everything was going wonderful. And, you know, my little things I was doing, like the blood pressure and the little urine strips, everything looked good. So I felt confident. And, um, I finally went into labor. I felt like I was pregnant forever. I, I believe I was 40, 41, three days, I believe. I don't know for sure, but I know it was after 41 weeks and finally went into labor. I hired a birth photographer. And so that was the only person that attended besides my husband and I, and I went into labor and had him two and a half hours later. later. So it was even quicker than the one before, but I was in less denial because (laughs) I knew how the last one went and I delivered on the toilet. (laughs) 
So same thing. I really liked the toilet in pregnant or in, in my laboring. And yeah, it was just, I, I know people will say they had like these pain-free births and I always was like, you guys are crazy. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I can really look back at that and say that it was my only pain-free delivery. I just felt, I don't know, really in control. And I almost felt like out of, out of body where I was like watching myself. It sounds so strange, but that's how it felt. And so it was just really straightforward. And he came out and looked great, had his first little cry. And we were just so thrilled and everybody woke up to join. And, you know, so we're, you know, all up at like two in the morning or three in the morning as a family. And I'm like, oh no, tomorrow's going to be really rough. (laughs) (laughs) But luckily there's TV for those moments. And we just laid around the next day. Um, But yeah, he was just like eight pounds and we didn't, we went and saw a pediatrician like two days later and everything checked out. And everybody asked me, when are you going to go see a midwife? (laughs) Like, when are you going to go to the hospital and get checked out? Like all of these questions where I'm like, never. (laughs) Like I had the baby, I birthed the placenta. I think we're good to go. And so that was a very interesting thing for the people around me. Like, okay, well, when are you going to go to the doctor or when are you going to go to the hospital? I'm like, I'm not. And yeah, I guess that's all I can say really about that one. How had that labor started? Did it start with contractions or did your water break at a certain point in there too? No. So the only labor that my water broke was the pre, the preemie baby. Um, the rest of them broke like basically at crowning. So I had had like predormal labor for probably a week. And that particular day I woke up and I was like, I need to get out of this house or I'm going to go crazy. And so we went to the store. We didn't have a vehicle at the time. So we like walked to the store and just got out of the house and rode the bus and just had a good day as a family um, and came back. And I was just like in a really (laughs) nasty mood, but I didn't think anything of it. Like we cleaned the whole house and got the kids to bed. And then finally (laughs) I was having contractions, but they were still like probably every 20 minutes or so. And my husband was following me to the bathroom. Every time I went to the bathroom, he was convinced I was just going to like push out a baby. Um, well, yeah, you were going to sit on the <laughs> toilet. <laughs> exactly. And so um, I think about 11, I was like, I'm going to take a bath. Because um, I was really just like kind of going crazy. Like, when is this going to happen? I think we all get that way towards the end. <laughs> and so my husband is texting the birth photographer, who was a friend and also a doula. And he's like, well, she's going to take a bath. I I keep following her because, you know, she's not convincing me that she's not in labor basically. Um, and then when I got out of the bath, I had my first like real, I knew baby was coming contraction. And so I think that was about midnight. And then the birth photographer got there about 1215 and then I had him at two 30. So yeah, it was just kind of a straightforward, like what you would expect, I guess, for mm-hmm. labor, some contractions and then transition. Boom. <laughs> And how was that postpartum time for you? I don't even really remember that postpartum as much. Um, I know that I was just back up doing all the things. So I felt, again, really good. And I had my friends and my midwife friends saying, like, you need to stay in bed for a few days. Like, 
And so I tried, but it's, it was so hard for me, not even because like my kids needed me because my husband was there. It was more just like, I can't sit here. <laughs> like I'm going to go crazy. So, I mean, I rode, I got up and baby wore and rode the baby or rode the baby. Well, rode the bus, like to the pediatrician 30 minutes away to get him checked out and then came home. And so I really tried again to stay at home and in bed, but it's really hard for me. <laughs> I have to ask too, with bringing baby into the pediatrician, how was that visit? Did you get backlash or did they know that you had had a free birth? So he knew, cause I, I saw him with my other kiddos, um, that I was planning a free birth. His mother-in-law was a, a home birth midwife. So like home birth was not super strange for them. Um, which is one of the reasons we loved that pediatrician. Um, and so I don't think he was like entirely shocked when I came in with the baby and told him that I had the baby at home with nobody, <laughs> but he was still kind of like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I had decent support at that point. And honestly, I had given all my cares away and was like, I don't care. Like <laughs> if you don't like what I did, then whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. I was just curious because sometimes you hear these stories of women going in after having, even if it's a home birth with a midwife or a free birth uh -huh. or whatever it is, and they just get like reamed for these choices. Yeah. And I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't put myself in that situation or go back to that person anyway, no but I was just curious what his reaction had been going in with yeah. the baby. Luckily it was, it was okay. <laughs> So that brings me to number seven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So when I was pregnant with my seventh, my husband really, really wanted me to have a midwife. It wasn't that he wanted me to have a midwife present necessarily for the birth. He just was like, I'm just worried. You know, unfortunately in this day and age, we have to be worried about people reporting you for all kinds of things. Um, and some people don't like the decisions you make. And so they take it upon themselves to try to, I don't know, fix it, I guess. So he was really nervous about um, somebody potentially getting irritated or mad or thinking our decisions were crazy and reporting us. So I appeased him and was like, okay, I will see a midwife for our care, but I'm going to call them after the fact and they can come clean up kind of thing. So I saw the midwife practice, she had a practice now, um, that had attended my fifth birth and I, I loved it. They were great. I love them all. I knew them all. Um, and my care was great, but it got to a point where I just felt like I was not trusting the process, like the pregnancy in general, I think just going and having like, well, I was measuring big. So prior to this measuring big, I'm like, no big deal, whatever. But suddenly there was like this emphasis on it. And so I was obsessing and like had all these fears of the baby passing and just a lot of weird things. I'm not blaming it on the midwifery care because I don't think they played a fact. It was just everything was suddenly more, I was more aware of everything. Um, and it just felt wrong to me. <laughs> so finally I told my husband, I was like, I feel like I am at a weird place. I'm not trusting that this pregnancy is going the way it should. I'm not trusting that the birth is going to go well. Like I just feel out of control. 
And so I prayed and, you know, talked to my husband, of course, and got support and decided that I was going to continue the pregnancy on my own again. And so I went into the appointment and let them know that I wasn't going to continue care and that it was nothing that they had done. It just didn't feel right. And they were super supportive, of course. And it was hard because, you know, we all loved each other and they were so wonderful, but I just said, this is just me. This is completely on me. So I continued the pregnancy and got to a better place. I just felt more at peace and more comfortable with that choice. Oh, and I should add, I was measuring huge. I mean, 10 weeks ahead. So, oh, wow. We did like do an ultrasound and make sure I wasn't carrying twins or something like that. Cause that's definitely not a surprise. I would necessarily want to learn at the delivery, <laughs> And we rolled that out. And I think I had just had a surplus in fluid and it worked itself out. And then I was measuring right on track and everything was fine. So just kind of a weird thing. Or we also said, well, maybe it's just because my uterus is so roomy. (laughs) All these, all these (laughs) babies. (laughs) It had been through this a couple of times before. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so same thing. I was working full time at that point. So my husband was the primary uh, stay at home parent. And I told my boss, I said, I'm due, you know, August 5th, but schedule me till after I always go late. And she was like, um, are you sure? And I said, yeah. And then I realized that like, technically legally, she couldn't just take me off the schedule because I was due. So I had my last shift, uh, August 10th. Like I said, I was due August 5th and Continued to work like 37 hours a week, went in for my last shift after a night of like predormal labor. And my husband was like, are you seriously going to work? And I said, do I have a baby in my arms? (laughs) And and he's like, okay. So I went to work and I had not slept well the night before, obviously, because contractions and my coworkers were looking at me quite odd (laughs) because I was having contractions and they could actually see my uterus like you know, doing the contraction shape. And they're like, okay, so what do we do if you actually like your water breaks or you're really in labor or something? And I was like, uh, put some towels down. (laughs) Find me a bathroom to go to so I can go sit on the toilet. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so they were slightly mortified, but I was like, I'm going to finish my job because I told her that I would be here and finished my shift, went home and had him five hours later. So, Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So that labor was actually a lot more intense than my two before that. Um, I had horrible back labor and I'm like doing all the things I know how, you know, I'm using like heat on my back, a little bit of counter pressure. My husband was really, really stressed at this birth, um, because he wanted to be there for me, but he was taking care of kids. And I kept telling him like, it's okay. Like, I'm okay. Just take care of the kids. You know, they're going to go to bed eventually. So I sat on the birth ball, did some standing up, like nothing. I could not figure out why I was so uncomfortable. I sat on the toilet and I didn't even love that, which was shocking for me. (laughs) So I realized that the baby was not posterior, but just slightly crooked, I guess you could say. Um, just not in the optimal position basically. Mm-hmm. And so I finally was like, you know what? I will try a bath because the shower just wasn't working. And 
got in the bath and I didn't feel like the euphoria that everybody explains like, oh, it was like a water epidural, like nothing like that. But I felt like it was more manageable. And so I stayed there and my husband finally got the kids to sleep and our daughter, our oldest wanted to be a part of this one. So she was waiting in the hallway and my husband comes in and he's like, Hey babe, like, why don't you go take a nap? And like I said, the denial, (laughs) this man, (laughs) he was like, go take a nap. And I'm like, are you kidding? I'm having a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just like, looking at me, like you're sleeping, like you're not having a baby, but I was in transition. So I was like, you know, literally taking little tiny naps between contractions. And then I did kind of a, a check on myself and was like, oh no, I had like a cervical lip. And luckily I had read about these things. So I got into a different position and just tried to hold that position for a few contractions, hoping that it would even out. And this was really when I discovered that he wasn't quite in the optimal position. And that was not comfortable at all. And so after a few contractions, I realized that this thing was just not moving. And I just gently kind of like held my cervix, if that makes sense. Because I didn't want to injure myself, of course. Um, And once I kind of held it, the baby passed right through. And then I was suddenly crowning. So like I went from like, okay, it's probably going to be a few pushes to, oh my gosh, the baby is like coming right here. So I told my husband to get my daughter because I wanted her to be there. And they were in the bathroom with me. And yeah, I remember this so vividly. It's crazy to think about, but we didn't find out the genders of our babies. So at the time I didn't know it was a he, but he started to crown and I could tell his head was just a little bit not like not where I wanted it. And so I tried to hold, like, I kind of just, I didn't hold it, but I put my hand um, on his head and just really tried to breathe through it because I really was like, I don't think it's time yet. Like I need some more stretching time. And then I could feel his little feet kick inside of me. (laughs) So I was like, okay, time to go and gave one good last push. And there he was, um, never intended on having a water birth, but did. And he was another, I had like, my babies were all like eight pounds, my home births about eight pounds. Exactly. Um, and you know, same little thing, little cry and his color was great. And we moved to the bedroom and weighed him. And we were so confused that we had another like eight pound baby. (laughs) I'm, I'm not even kidding. My three, the three home births at this point were eight pounds, eight, one, 715, you know, like so spot on. <laughs> Super consistent in your yeah. baby growing. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that was a great experience. Definitely. I was like, okay, that was way more intense than my other two, but still great. And then I I think we thought we were done. Like we had had one loss before him and we were like, okay, great. You know, our family is this is it. <laughs> and uh Then I just got to a point very quickly where I didn't feel like our family was done and that if we were blessed with another baby, that that would be awesome. But we weren't like trying. It was just kind of a, if it happens, okay. And it did. (laughs) And um, I went unassisted again and 
this was a very testing pregnancy. The pregnancy itself was great, but towards the end, we knew we were moving across the country and I was due February 20th and we were moving March 20th. Like we knew that we were packing up and leaving that day. Um, and so kind of pressure on, you know, it's like, Oh, February 20th is my due date, but I will go late. So we should have like two or three weeks before we have to move. So, you know, baby will be a little bit bigger. I will be healed. It'll be good. (laughs) And February 20th came and went. And then I passed 41 weeks and I was like, okay, well any day. And then I got to 42 weeks (laughs) and basically from 41 and a half till I had him, I pretty much cried every day. Just like, why am I still pregnant? Like I'm in so much pain. I just felt like the baby was pretty big and I felt just very uncomfortable, which we all do. So like I did with the special scar stories, I just started finding stories on women that went past 42 weeks and they're out there. It's just one of those things where basically you're met with a lot of fear. Like if you go past 42 weeks, your stillborn chance is so much higher and your baby's going to die and your placenta is going to calcify and it's going to get too old and not take care of the baby. Like just all of these things Mm -hmm. where if you do your research, (laughs) a lot of them are not true or a lot of it is more fear and less actual research based. So I got some encouragement and was like, okay, you know, other women do this too. This is not out of the ordinary. It's just a variation of normal. And just kept pressing through and still was (laughs) emotional. And like, when is this going to happen? I had prodromal labor for at least two weeks and was like, you know what? We move in. We were moving in like two weeks or less at this point. And so I told my husband, I said, okay, if I do not have the baby by this date, then I will look into some other options. Um, because I didn't want to move across the country with a two day old. And luckily for me, I went into labor on my own, like the next day, but it was a very strange labor for me, like completely different from any of my others. I was having contractions every 20 minutes until I had him. So it was very confusing. I didn't understand what was going on. Like they never got closer together than 20 minutes apart. Yep. So I realized it was his position. So I'm like, gosh, these, these contractions are really strange. Um, It was almost like I was still having prodromal labor, except I was progressing. Um, So I was like, okay, well, whatever. So I switched from the toilet to the bathtub, to the toilet, to the bathtub. My labor was only like six hours, but it felt like forever. Same kind of thing. I was in the bathtub and my husband came in and said, babe, the kids are going to wake up soon. You should take a, take a nap. You should get into bed and rest. And I said, I'm having a baby. (laughs) 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 Again, he didn't realize. Um, and he was of course very confused again. And at this point the kids had woken up and I'm sitting on the toilet and they're coming in and they're like, mom, we want a snack. (laughs) Mom, we're hungry. You know, like And I'm trying to explain to them, like, I'm having a baby right now. Like literally, um, I can't get those things for you. (laughs) And finally my husband, you know, he, he was checking on me 
often and coming in and caring for me when he could. Um, and finally goes downstairs and it's like, okay, I guess I'm calling out to work today. And he calls his boss to tell her, like, I think Brittany's having a baby, but I don't really know. <laughs> and my, I'm like, McKenna, that's my oldest. I call her and I'm like, go get dad. She runs down and gets him and he comes up and he's like, what, what, what? He's thinking like, he needs to call 911. There's some kind of emergency happening. And I'm like, I'm having the baby. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like actually crowning at that point. And, you know, news to him, I guess. <laughs> so this was a really different pushing experience for me. I am a very effective pusher. My babies are like their head is out in one push and their body is out in the next. Um, but this time I am like pushing and I am pushing hard and I am like, this kid is barely moving. What is going on? And so I'm just, you know, doing my thing, just continuing to push and just very confused with why my best efforts are like giving me an inch, which I know for a lot of women, like they're having to do the back and forth where they like push and baby kind of kind of goes just back up just a slight bit. And then you push and it gets a little further. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, okay, I guess I'm like a normal woman right now. <laughs> and so finally, like, I feel what I'm like thinking, what is this? But it's the cord. The cord was around the baby's neck. And I guess I should have mentioned the cord was around the, the fifth, my first home birth. He had his cord wrapped three times, which side note, so smart because his cord was super, super long. So had he not wrapped himself, it very well could have been a, um, umbilical, uh, wow. My brain is a prolapse. Thank you. Prolapse. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, so his cord was also wrapped around his neck, but it was like the biggest cord I had ever felt. So I was really confused. Like, what is that? So I finally delivered his head and he was looking up at me. (laughs) So it was, he was very posterior and it was, I do not recommend it. It was very uncomfortable, but finally birthed him into the toilet and was like, Oh, or not the toilet. Wow. Birthed him into the bathtub and was like, Oh my goodness, this baby is a sumo. Like (laughs) (laughs) he he looked so big. And when I picked him up, like I was like, Oh my God he's got some weight to him. I didn't know he was a boy at this point. Um, we had had five boys and we were convinced this one was a girl. So, you know, we're just looking at him and I'm doing some stimulation to make sure that he gets that first little breath and, or big breath rather. And, and I finally looked down and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we have another boy. Like how, how can we have six boys? Oh my goodness. Um, and when we weighed him, we were shocked. (laughs) Um, he was 11 pounds, four ounces. So I was, you know, I was like, thank God I am validated in how I felt those last few days. (laughs) And for just how intense I felt like the labor was in comparison to my others, like specifically pushing, like, just like, man, this kid, (laughs) but I think overall, like him being posterior as well contributed to just the challenging pushing. Mm -hmm. Um, but the weight was probably enough. I didn't need both, but (laughs) yeah. Posterior can be difficult 
all on its oh, own, it was, even with yeah. a smaller baby, just because the presentation is a little bit different. So then, yeah, you yes. add an 11 pound and some change baby onto there too. <laughs> that that adds another layer for sure. Yes. So I told everybody, I was like, I definitely don't recommend that combo, but if you have to, you can do it. <laughs> right. Um, what a testament to your body. I mean, the 10 pound V-back was a testament, yeah. but then, yeah, this is a whole nother pound on top of that then. So like I said earlier, like, well, I finally was forced to stay in bed because that I did tear with him and it was, I mean, it wasn't huge, like, but it was bigger than my previous deliveries. And I was way more sore just from pushing so hard that (laughs) I had to stay in bed and how inconvenient that we were moving across the country (laughs) nine days later. But overall, like my recovery, aside from being really sore, like it was still easier than my episiotomy delivery and definitely easier than my C-sections. And yeah, now he's a year old and I still look at him in complete disbelief that he was over 11 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to speak to what you had mentioned about the cord a little bit more too, because I think that that's a really important thing to note when you had said that one of your babies had the cord wrapped around them several times and it Mm -hmm. was a really long cord. Um, And this can kind of go hand in hand with tearing too, because sometimes we think of the cord being wrapped around baby as a super dangerous thing, mm-hmm. but really it's it's your baby and your body's protective way of preventing a cord prolapse. And for anyone yep. who doesn't know what that is, that's when the cord is presenting before the baby or is like hanging out before the baby. So as the baby descends, they would be putting pressure on the cord, which can cause issues like lack of oxygen and just cutting off the nutrients that baby is getting through that cord. So obviously that's a very emergent in a true cord prolapse. That's typically an indication for a C-section because your baby yeah, wouldn't be able to come out without compressing on that cord. And and it can be the same thing with tearing. We often think of tearing, spontaneous tearing during pushing as like a very scary and bad thing that happens. Mm-hmm. But again, that's your body's way of making room for baby. And it's a protective mechanism. And a spontaneous tear is typically much, much, much better than an episiotomy because an episiotomy is an artificial tear. And I like to use the example of when you think of a piece of paper, if you tear a piece of paper, like hold it in the middle and tear it, when you lay it back together, you can kind of see how the different layers and pieces of paper go back together nicely versus an episiotomy. When you just cut a piece of paper with scissors, you don't get that overlap like you would in, in a natural tear. So it's kind of the same thing with our bodies when you think of healing in that way and having an episiotomy can sometimes lead to tearing in other places because the overall structure of everything down there is compromised in some places. Mm -hmm. So just two things that you had brought up that I'm like, oh yeah, we should talk about these because it just shows how wise our bodies are. And we really just need to trust them that they know what they're doing in the right time. Absolutely. I know that's, that's a really good illustration. I had never heard that one actually with the paper. Yeah. Yeah. It just gives a really good visual of like, I don't know, because I, I'm also a really big fan of 
like natural healing if you tear mm-hmm. versus, I mean, obviously if it's a very severe or deep tear, there might be a, a necessity for sutures or repair or something like that. But if you have just like an artificial tear or a smaller tear, keeping your legs together and laying in bed, your your tissues are going to overlap and your body knows how to heal just like it knows how to heal a, a cut on your finger or a paper cut yeah. or whatever it is. It's the same thing down there. And they typically like tears in your perineum are going to heal a lot faster too, just because those tissues are so just restorative. And like, that's, that's one of the purposes of them. And again, that goes back to the way that our bodies were designed to function. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's a reason for that. So it's all, it's all really interrelated there. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you. That was that was so great just to hear. That was a lot. <laughs> all of the birth stories. Yeah, and you said that most recent one was just over a year in February, right? Um, he t- well, he was born. <laughs> he was due February twentieth, but was born March eleventh. So yeah, oh, okay. just, a, just a year ago. Well, for any women who are kind of on the fence or are exploring their options, and maybe they've had a C-section or they've had a C-section with a special scar what advice would you have for them or what would you really want them to take from the stories that you shared with us today? I really feel like just like, don't give up. (laughs) Um, If there is a part of you that wants to try, I would very much uh, encourage you to try. I think for me, that was the biggest thing. It's like, I know my options. I know I can go have a C-section. I know I can transfer to the hospital However, I want to try, like, I knew I couldn't live with myself personally, if I never gave it a go. And that's just how I am and my personality. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then second, you need to find support. If that means finding a new friend that has been there or somebody that hasn't been there, but 100% believes that it's your choice and that you should go for it, then find encouragement in that because not having anyone that supports you is definitely, I mean, that's true with so many things in life. I mean, breastfeeding, everything, having that one person, you can be like, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for being my encouragement um, Mm -hmm. is super helpful. Even to Um, just feel validated in that choice. We kind of talked about that earlier too, but just mm -hmm. having someone be on your side, it makes you feel so much less crazy for wanting the things that you want because it's not, it's not a mainstream idea to have your babies at home, even though we're seeing a rise in that now, but especially to have mm-hmm. babies at home after having a C-section or in special circumstances. So right. I, I would agree. Finding that support is key. Yeah. And then I guess the last thing would just be do your research, find the pros and cons. And then when you decide that you've found enough information to do the thing that you want to do, don't read the horror stories at that point. Like of course, look at your wrists and learn about the possible bad things that could happen. But once you've made your decision and you have that knowledge, like just move on from it and then just go and look for positive outcomes and positive stories. Like I always tell everybody you need to know wrists, of course, like don't pretend they're not there because they are. But once you know, like, you know, you have your information now move on from that because you don't want to be reading horror stories your whole pregnancy and get in that mindset because it's 
it's not a good place to be when you're filled with fear and the what if this happens. Just having that knowledge, I think it's enough of, okay, I know what to do in this situation. Okay, good. (laughs) Well, thank you again just for being willing to share all of your stories and everything that you've learned in your own journeys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.